Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you are ready to finish uh, out? Well, we finish actually next time. Uh, we got one more painful one to go. No, it's, it's good. How many of you know it's good? I had uh, several people approach me at the back door last Sunday, and they said this to me, you ruined my whole week. And I said, did I preach that bad? And they said, well, we can't slander. We can't gossip. We don't know what to do. <clears throat> and I said, you know what? That ought to tell you something right there. They, they were sort of kidding with me, and I say sort of. They said, we, we don't know what to say, what to talk about. I said, well, gossip the gospel. Amen. Talk about the good things God has done. All right, let's put it up there, and we're going to talk tonight about two really, really important things. If you don't have a book and you've never gotten a book, raise your hand. If you need a book tonight, if, you, if you've never gotten one, all right, there's a couple of people, guys. All right. We're doing better. Usually it's about half the congregation. And uh, keep your, put your hand up high where they can see you. Half-mast, they can't see you. All right. Now we're going to talk tonight about not being a ham. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a ham. And we're going to talk about a principle tonight. And uh, ham is an incredible, uh, an incredible story from the Bible and an incredible principle we're going to talk about. Now, let's read Genesis 9:22. It says, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside. And what did he do, everybody? Read it. Told his brothers. He told on them. He ratted on him. He dishonored his father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray that you will help us in Jesus' name to honor you by walking in wisdom. We need wisdom, Lord. We need the wisdom and the knowledge of God because we don't want to forfeit the anointing for any reason. We don't want to forfeit the blessing for any reason. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us in Jesus' name. Now, will you lift a prayer and say, Lord, change me. This very night, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll tell your neighbor one more time, you better not be a ham. All right, uh, um, <clears throat> according to Scripture, we've been talking about slanderers and gossipers and so on and so forth, and um, nobody wants to walk in gossip if you know what price you pay, and nobody wants to walk in slander. But, you know, how, how many of you can admit it's, so e admit it's so easy to do? It's so easy to gossip. It's so easy to listen to gossip. We love those ju juicy tidbits about other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves, doesn't it? Come on, admit it, fess up. It does, doesn't it? We gravitate to the juicy tidbits. If it wasn't true, you wouldn't see the magazines that you do at the checkout counter of every supermarket. There they are, tabloids galore, gossip. Our world is driven by gossip. Gossip-driven, we feed on it. And you know what? Our culture uh, uh, cultivates that, that taste for gossip. And so it takes the Word of God getting into our hearts and changing us. Now, according to Scripture, slanderers delight in uncovering and broadcasting the sins of others. Now, let me ask you before we go on here, can we just get real can we just get down and get real and, and admit that uh, the church is loaded with this stuff? Amen. Well, y'all are so quiet tonight. Are you, are you heat struck, heat stroked? 
in the church loaded with this stuff. Now I want to ask you something. Being saved, being redeemed, and being children of God, should these things that are so evident in the world be purged out of us? Shouldn't there be a difference in the church? Shouldn't there be a difference in the church? All right. So I'm, I'm hoping, and, and, uh, and I do believe that this will be the case, God's Word won't return void. But when you read His Word, His Word has a way of cleansing you and purging you and, and uh, getting things out of you that, that the world has put there. The world's way is to gossip and to, and to slander and to broadcast the sins of others. Doesn't the media just go into a feeding frenzy when a politician falls? Doesn't the media just love it when some church leader messes up? Doesn't the media just thrive on gossipy tidbits because they know it bumps the ratings up? Because they know it increases listeners. Now watch this. This brings to mind the story of Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, following the great flood, the Bible tells us that Noah was discovered in a cave by his youngest son, Ham, intoxicated. And when Ham found him intoxicated, it says that rather than cover his father's nakedness, he quickly went out and broadcast his sin to his two brothers. Now, what did they do? Because when you see Noah in this condition. Noah, the man of God. Noah, who had built this ark for a hundred years. hundred years hammering away on this ark. Because of Noah and his obedience to God, the human race was spared total extinction. And yet here, after the tremendous trial, after a hundred years building the ark, after months just floating on an endless sea, because the entire world had been covered in a flood. After this incredible journey of faith, Noah goes and gets drunk. Aren't you glad the Bible tells us the truth about the saints that are in it? Aren't you glad? Now, he goes and he gets drunk. And Ham goes in and sees him. And Ham has a great big uh, gotcha moment. He goes out and he broadcasts to Shem and Japheth, guess what I just saw? Dad, the man of faith and power for the hour, Dad, Noah, he's in there in that cave. He's naked and he's drunk. He's in a stupor. He doesn't even know what he's doing. What did Shem and Japheth do? The Bible says they backed in backwards. They walked into the cave backwards with a covering. They threw it over their father without looking at him, and they covered him his nakedness and his shame. It wasn't just that he was naked, it was that he was drunk. He was in a state of shame and they covered it with a blanket. Now I want you to think about that because what we're going to see tonight, church, is two kinds of people. And we're going to see which ones we want to be because this little story reveals two attitudes two characteristics, two kinds of people, two personalities that are in the church today. As a matter of fact, you're one or you're the other, probably a little mixture of both. Let's, the garment that Shem and Japheth used to cover their father with is a beautiful picture of love. Think about it. Shem and Japheth backed in and covered. Can everybody say with me covered? So do you hear with me the metaphor? Do you, hear, do you see with me there's more than a blanket involved? 
They are covering their father's sin. Now, look at what the Bible says. This is a beautiful picture of love. Hatred stirs up strife, Solomon wrote. But love, can you read it with me? Covers. What does love do? Covers. All sins. And again, the Proverbs teach that he who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter, he who goes and tells a matter, he who goes and spreads a matter, what does it say? Separates best friends. All right, so you got two responses here. And I want you to catch this. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ in America would get a hold of this. Because, listen, if I could just take the power and the energy and the effort and the time spent in gossip and turn it into witnessing, we'd win the nation in a year or less. Many things are revealed during times of trouble when the waters are stirred and weaknesses in others become known. Think about it. Ham's character lay hidden until his father stumbled, as did the character of Shem and Japheth. We did not know what was in these boys. They floated in that ark all that time. They believed in their dad. When he said, you better get on this ark with me, they believed the word of the Lord through him. They got on the ark with him and they and their families were saved spared while the rest of the entire human race perished in the flood. They, 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 they rode the coattails of his anointing. They rode the coattails of his blessing. They took advantage of God's hand on his life. But when he stumbled, what was really in them was revealed. And it always is. All right? Here's the principle. When a brother or sister stumbles, it not only reveals the issues in his or her own heart, it also reveals the hearts of those around them. <laughs> oh, so quiet. It's been so quiet here Wednesday nights. I, I could hear a mouse walk across the floor on Wednesday nights. You know why? Because this is really true. This is meddling. This is meddling truth. But, but I want you to catch this. See, see, a lot is revealed in you and me when somebody stumbles. I'll never forget what the church went through when Jimmy Swaggart fell on national media, national television. And I remember hearing people gossip and I remember seeing people weep and cry and mourn that a very powerful individual had come down. There were two polarizing responses. And see, church, what we've got to understand is when somebody's weaknesses, when somebody stumbles in front of us, no matter how bad. It can be terrible. It can be sort of bad. But when they stumble, it reveals instantly the spiritual maturity level of those around them. Instantly. It's an x-ray. Now, nobody watching this person stumble is aware of that because all eyes are on the stumbler, but not God's eyes. God's eyes are on the stumbler and God's eyes are on the observer's. Because God is, what God will do, he will use a person stumbling to reveal the maturity level of a body of believers. 
When Noah stumbled, instantly we see that Ham did not have spiritual maturity. He was a broadcaster of sin. He didn't really love his daddy. Because the Bible told us just now, love will cover a multitude of sins. Now I'm going to tell you the difference between that and love hiding sin or enabling sin. I'm not talking about being an enabler. I'm not talking about uh, hiding somebody's sin so that they don't have to deal with it. I'm not talking about not taking sin seriously. I'm talking about how you take it seriously. Do you try to destroy the person because they stumbled or are you a Shem and a Japheth who steps in and says, you know what? That's my dad. He's made a mistake. I'm going to back in. I'm going to cover him and I'm going to believe God for his restoration and I'm not going to go broadcast what he did. I'm not going to try to destroy him. Ham's motive was to destroy his daddy. Who are you going to go gossip to when you're the only people on earth? He gossiped to the only two people he could. <laughs> I mean, it had been a long walk looking for somebody else to tell about it. Everybody was dead. So he goes to the two people on earth, Shem and Japheth and their families, and he says to them, guess what dad did? He is, he is sodded drunk in the cave. And they said, really? They took a blanket, they backed in, never saw him, threw the blanket on him, now, I want you to see what happened. When a person stumbles into sin, it not only reveals their heart, it also reveals the hearts of everybody around them. Another example, King David had no idea what was in the heart of Absalom, who betrayed him, or Ahithophel, his counselor, who defected from him, who was Bathsheba's granddaddy, or Shimei, who cursed him until... He was reaping the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba. And what did he have to do? Absalom tried to overthrow him. And when Absalom tried to overthrow him, it says in the Bible that Absalom stole half of the hearts of the kingdom of Israel. He successfully robbed half of the hearts of David's subjects. They, they cleaved to Absalom, handsome, Tall, hair that you weighed by the, by the ounce, charismatic, magnetic. And he talked soothingly to the people and stole their hearts. And one day David knew it and knew that if he did not flee Israel, flee Jerusalem and go and hide in the woods, his own son was going to assassinate him. So he's running. Well, here's the deal. He didn't know what was in Absalom's heart. He didn't know what was in Ahithophel's heart who had counseled him for years. Ahithophel had been his number one counselor, his number one advisor. And yet it says when David started to run into the woods and had to flee from his own son, Ahithophel joined himself to Absalom. Would he have ever known that Ahithophel had a divided heart until he was down? He'd have never known it until he was down. And then here comes Shimei. Shimei followed David into the woods. He picked up rocks and dirt and began to hurl them and throw them at David. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago and cursed him and called him names and accused him of things he had not done. Would we have ever known what was in Shimei's heart if David had not gone down? David's stumbling and David's troubles revealed what was in the hearts of those who had surrounded him. You never know somebody when the times are good.
You know them when the times are bad. And that's free, and you'll pay $200 for a counselor to tell you that. I'm telling you right now. You don't know the hearts of people when everything's going good because they all want what you've got. But as soon as you don't have what you had, you find out what was in their hearts. And you need to find out what's in their hearts because you don't want a bunch of people hanging around you who really aren't with you or for you. You don't. But you're never going to know what's in them until you're down. Anybody ever been down and realized this is true? Come on. I mean, you can see it all over our world all the time. People are, people are primarily users, and people primarily seek their own. Isn't that what the Bible says? I'm not being pessimistic. That's what the Bible says about people. Now watch this. David's troubles brought out the true attitudes and thoughts of those who were surrounding him. I like it. When David was on his deathbed, he was like a mafia don. He said to Solomon, and remember Shimei, kill him. I'm serious. And Joab, take him out. You can almost hear the Godfather music going behind him. <laughs> Shimei, take him out. Seriously, he ordered their, their execution right before he went to heaven. That just goes to show you better watch what you say about God's anointed people. Because it may take a while, but take him out. <laughs> may take a while. Yeah, David, I, anyway, praise God. Oh, David, he was tough. Now, when Noah awoke and learned of what Ham had done, look at what he said. Cursed. Everybody say with me, Cursed. Cursed be Canaan. Who's Canaan? Ham's son. Now look at this. Ham did it, but here's Noah cursing his descendants. Woo. Watch. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. Now, do you know this is the first recorded curse in the Bible? There's not a curse until right here. And interestingly, here's what we know. Now, he cursed, by cursing Canaan, Ham's son, he was cursing his descendants. For doing what? For slandering him. For doing, for treating him the way he treated him when he was down. Watch this. It says that we know from history that Ham's descendants, the Canaanites, became slaves of Shem's descendants. The Jewish race. Shem's descendants were the Jewish race. And what happened? The Canaanites became their servants. Ham's descendants became the servants of Shem's descendants. Yet Noah's curse reached much further. The Canaanites were partly exterminated and partly subjected to the lowest form of slavery by the Israelites who belonged to the family of Shem. And those who still remained were reduced by Solomon to the same condition. What condition? Slavery. Slavery. Ham's slanderous act brought grief to his descendants for generations to come. Now, I got to tell you, I read that and that puts the fear of God in me. 
Now, we're not living in the Old Testament, and I know that. And I'm not trying to lay a heavy on you, because I know we've all slandered people. We've all gossiped. But I'm showing you the principle. I'm showing you what pleases God and what does not please God. I'm trying to give us an understanding of what God can smile on and what God frowns on. And when a brother or a sister are down, you don't go out in the street and kick their brains out. Hello, y'all. You try to restore them. Now, the flip side, there's a, there's a flip side. Everybody say amen. amen. The flip side to all this is very encouraging. Turning to Shem and Japheth, the two who did not slander but who tried to restore their dad, turning to Shem and Japheth, Noah said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, don't change it yet. Watch this now. Look what he spoke over Shem and Japheth. Blessing, enlargement, which is always a picture of somebody's business being blessed, somebody's undertakings being blessed. How many of you want your undertakings, your, your businesses, your, 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 your life blessed? Now, look, here's what he said. He said, blessed be who? Not just Shem, but the God of Shem. What did Noah recognize? He recognized that Shem's God which was the God, creator God, Jehovah God, that that God is the God who taught him not to slander. He, he said, I see how Shem acted and I associate that with his God. And so he says, and may Canaan be a servant. Now Japheth, look at this, Japheth's descendants we're the Gentiles. You know what? You, unless you're Jewish, 100% Jewish in here, you are a descendant of Japheth. The Gentile nations are the descendants of Japheth. And so that's a good thing. Amen? I'm glad I'm not a Canaanite. All right? Now, so look what it says. Who, and what, what happened to the Gentiles? The Gentiles were brought into the tents of Shem according to Noah's blessing. Under the gospel influence, when did it happen? It's right here, under the gospel influence. Jews and Gentiles were brought together, united in one fold, and Shem's descendants brought forth the Messiah. So Shem and Japheth were joined together, the Jews and the Gentiles, Shem the Jews, Japheth the Gentiles, and we were brought together under one tent, the gospel tent. So if you're a believing Jew, and you've been born again, and you're a believing Gentile, and you've been born again. We're in the same tent with the Jewish people. And that's, that goes all the way back to Noah. Praise God. So can you see with me, everybody, that those who sought to cover, those who sought to restore, those who sought to help were blessed. They were blessed. But those who condemned, judged, and criticized and shamed and tried to destroy came under a curse. The principle is God blesses those who restore and God does not bless those who are destructive towards others. Come on, everybody. Now, watch this. The curse of God came upon the slanderous tongue of Ham, but eternal blessing was pronounced upon Shem and Japheth. Now, does this mean that we as Christians are not to judge sin or confront somebody's wrong lifestyle? No. 
Here's what it does mean. It means that our motive should never be to shame, destroy, or hurt another. It, it all has to do with, let me put it to you this way. God, you know, when you get a pearl, you find a pearl in an ugly old clam. Now here's what a ham does. A ham sees a pearl in a clam and says, well, it's in a nasty old clam. Throw the whole thing away. But a Shem or a Japheth says, look at the pearl, look at the person, and remove the pearl from the sin. And you deal with them differently. You deal with the sin, but you keep the pearl. You are the pearl. You as a human being are the pearl. And just because you might be in some sin, we don't throw all of you out. We get you and we restore the pearl and we deal with the sin. But the Pharisee or the ham, they throw the whole thing out and God says, that doesn't please me. All right, everybody with me now? All right, let's go on. Let's talk about wancha people and gotcha people. Now, these are the two kinds of people we're seeing here in Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Wancha people and gotcha people. It says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Two kinds of people are presented throughout the Bible. Gotcha people and wancha people. Turn to your left and say, gotcha. Now turn to your right and say, wancha. Don't get weird on me. I'm just, you know, I just want you to get, get, the, get the difference here. Let, let me talk to you about gotcha people for a minute. Gotcha people are all over the church. Gotcha people are all about exposing and condemning the mistakes and stumbling of others. Gotcha people are hams. Gotcha people are the hams of the church. <laughs> the Pharisees of the New Testament come to mind. Those wonderful Pharisees, so religious, so upright so noble, carry themselves with such regal honor and uh, splendor and thought so much of themselves. But the Pharisees in the New Testament were bad dudes. You didn't want to mess with them. No wonder there weren't very many people in church in those days. In John's gospel, we find the Pharisees hurling a woman caught in adultery at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to picture this. I've always wondered where was the guy? You ever wonder that? Where was the guy? Well, they left him wherever. Stay there, dude. We're going to take care of her. And they took her and threw her at the feet of Jesus. Now, there was a crowd there, and I want you to imagine what was going through this woman's mind. This was your worst nightmare. This was horrible. Thrown at Jesus' feet in front of a huge crowd, thrown at the feet of the Son of God, and here's what they're saying. The law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? And they had the rocks in their hand. They were ready to kill her. Capital punishment. They demanded her execution, careful to quote the law, so they could justify their attitude. Now, I want you to notice closely their frame of mind. I want you to look at the Pharisee closely. First, they had no concern at all about her restoration as a human being. Now, church, if y'all ever learn anything from me, I want you to remember this. Is any among you spiritual? Let him be a restorer. You save the pearl and you throw the clam away. You throw the sin away, but you save the person. You deal with the sin, but you, 
maintain the value of the pearl. But these Pharisees had no concern about her at all. They didn't care if she went straight to hell. They wanted her dead. Second, their legalism was more important than a human being. Their legalism was more important than a human being. And third, they were all about shaming and condemning her, throwing her at Jesus' feet in front of everybody. All they cared about was exposing her, just like Ham. Do you see the descendants of Ham in these people? At least the attitude of Ham? Ham went out and broadcast his daddy's sin. These guys, throwing this woman at Jesus' feet, did the same thing, broadcast her sin. But Jesus, on the other hand, bore the opposite attitude. Now, whose child are you? Are you a child of Jesus? Now, watch this. He wanted her whole, restored, living a righteous life, and happy. This is why Jesus was and is a wancha Savior. Can I tell you the truth? Jesus is not a gotcha Savior. He's a wancha Savior. We don't know what Jesus began writing in the sand because the Bible says he stooped down and began to write something in the sand. I, I'm pretty convinced it was the Ten Commandments because here's what he was doing. Here's these Pharisees. They knew the Ten Commandments like they knew the back of their hand. They'd just never been touched by God. And I think he began to write in the sand, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And he began to write it in the sand. And the more he wrote, the heavier those rocks in their hands got. And they finally dropped them to the ground because they knew, he's letting me know I too have sinned. Who am I to kill her? Who am I to kill her? With every thou shalt not, it became less and less plausible to kill this woman. <laughs> I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, I love the Son of God because he cares about the pearl. Now, after they had all walked away, convicted in their own conscience, their self-righteousness waning away, one by one they walked, leaving Jesus alone with the woman. And here's what he said to her. Woman, where are your accusers? Where'd they go? Has nobody condemned you? And what did he say, everybody? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, can you notice something with me here? He plucked the pearl out of the sin and said, I don't condemn you. I love you. Then he took care of the sin and said, go and don't sin anymore. He differentiated between the sinner and the sin. He loved the sinner, but he said, be sure you get rid of the sin. And that's the way any man or woman of God will treat the fallen. We'll try to get the pearl and remove the sin from the pearl and help the pearl to be delivered from the sin. But we never take the pearl and the sin and throw them all away. Jesus did not uh, overlook or excuse her sin. He separated the woman from her sin, treating her with compassion. But he was careful to say, go and sin no more. 
There's hardly a more touching snapshot of the heart of Jesus than this one. This is the way the church needs to be. I said, this is the way the church needs to be. You know what the church is? The church is a hospital for sinners. And it's a watering hole for saints. That's what I want this place to be. What is it? It's a watering hole for saints. Come and be fed. But it's a hospital for sinners. If you need to be delivered, come on. We'll try to extract you, the pearl, from your sin, deliver you from the sin, but save the pearl. Jesus wanted to restore, not destroy her. Now, which of these two types of people are, are you? I never cease to be amazed at people who claim to have a close walk with Jesus Christ, yet they kick their own wounded on the field of battle. Not even pagans do this. The church is the only army on earth that finishes what the enemy starts. By shooting its fallen, condemning its defeated, and finishing off its wounded. Hello? This is invariably done by the gotcha people of the church. It's the gotcha people. It's the hams in the church that do it. Oh, he, he fell, she fell. Well, go kick their brains out and finish the job. But somebody who is mature says, uh-oh, all right. They pick up the clam. They see the sin all around the pearl, and they say, let's extract the pearl. Let's save the pearl, and we'll do away with the sin. But we're not going to lose the pearl. This guy, this lady, has been in battle. They fell wounded on the field of battle. I don't shoot my own wounded. I don't kick my own wounded. I don't kill my own wounded. If they fell to a, a, a trap of the devil, I'm not going to swoop in and finish what the devil started. Are y'all with me on this? Or are y'all with me on this? All right. <clears throat> Gossips and slanderers are the church's self-appointed firing squad. King David knew the type well. Listen to what he wrote. He said, quote, Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, say it with me, everybody, Aha, 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 aha is Old Testament language for gotcha. David has drawn a picture here of people who were just waiting for him to fall so they could say, aha, that is not the way God is. To David, and this is a picture of an enemy we don't often have. Uh, to David, an enemy was often somebody watching from the shadows, just waiting for him to make a mistake, that they could accuse him and slander him rather than reach out a helping hand. Have you ever known anybody like that? Can I tell you that there's millions of people that are not in churches on any given Sunday morning all over America because that's the way they were treated in church? So are you teaching this because we got this problem here? No. I'm giving you a flu shot. I'm being preemptive. I don't want this disease getting in here. That's why I'm doing it. Isn't it a strange and an unchristlike attitude? What does the Bible say? Everybody stumbles and makes mistakes, including the gotcha person. <laughs> James assured us that, quote, here's what James said, we all often stumble. Anybody in here doesn't ever stumble? I want to meet you after the service. If you don't ever stumble and you're teaching this Sunday, and I'm going to sit right there and listen to you, I want to know how you did it. 
We all often stumble and fall and offend in many things. Who does that? All. The scriptures teach over and again, we should be restorers, not destroyers. Now listen closely to Paul's words, the Galatian church. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are what, everyone? Spiritual. Can we say that word again? Spiritual. How many of you in here think you're spiritual? Anybody in here doesn't think you're spiritual? So most of you don't know what you think about yourself. How many of you in here try to be spiritual? Okay. Now watch this. If you think you're spiritual... And what does spiritual mean? Those who are responsive to and controlled by the Holy Spirit. If I'm a spiritual man, I will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a spiritual person spiritual. Now look what he said. If you are spiritual, controlled by the Spirit of God, you should set him right and restore and and do what? Reinstate him. That's what you ought to do. You who are spiritual, when you're dealing with somebody who is overtaken in misconduct or sin, if you're spiritual, you should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. You know what he's telling us? The very thing they did, you could do. So... You, you go in there and you try to help this person all the while going, Lord, help me. Because as they fell, I could fall. So help me. I want to restore them. And if I am full of the Holy Ghost, that will be my heart. If I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I will be a restorer. If I'm walking in the flesh, I will not be a restorer. In the church, it is not about finding and exposing people's shortcomings and sins like Ham did. It's about helping them out of their sins into a place of wholeness and usefulness, as did Shem and Japheth. May God help all of us to be Wancha types. Now I'm going to tell you a quick story and then we're going to close. I knew a woman a long time ago whose name was Marjorie. Marjorie was an alcoholic. She was one of these drink a, you know, drink a fifth a day to keep the devil away. And she would drink a fifth of vodka, a fifth of whatever, whiskey a day. She was always, she wasn't a functional drunk. She was a sodded drunk. Couldn't function, laid out, wasn't taking care of herself. Going from relationship to relationship, bed to bed, drunk all the time, killing herself, rotting her liver. This is where Marjorie was. And one day, somebody brought her into a Methodist service And in this Methodist church, the preacher preached the gospel. And it was on a Sunday night. And Marjorie got saved. She had never heard the gospel like this, and she got saved. And when she got saved, God began, of course, to deal with her immediately about drinking. And so she did her best to put it down. She had been a drunk for many, many years, had lost a high-paying job. She had been a professional uh, legal secretary, but she lost everything. Ended up on Skid Row. But she got saved. So she began to believe God to set her free. And for a season, she stayed off of it where her preacher heard about it. The same one that had preached the gospel to her. So he said to her, hey, Marjorie, you think you'd give your testimony uh, this coming Sunday night? He said, me? 
you want me to give a testimony from the pulpit? And it just sent her on cloud nine. Me, Marjorie, the drunk, I'm going to give my testimony. And she couldn't believe it. And so the day came. She was excited all week long. Well, that night, they sang their hymns. No Marjorie. It came time for the preacher to get up and introduce her. No Marjorie. He had sent people out saying, where is she? Go find her. Couldn't find her. And so the service completely bombed. The preacher shared a few verses. I don't know what's happened to her. I think we need to pray for her. Maybe she was in a car wreck. She was in a wreck. It wasn't a car wreck. Marjorie told me that that afternoon she had turned to the bottle, began to throw it back, got so drunk that she passed out. And she told me, I heard creeping into my subconscious a knocking sound. And I woke up. And in a panic, I looked up through blurred eyes at the clock. And it was way late. And the knocking continued. She said, I realized somebody was at the door. I wasn't going to answer. And then I heard his voice. Marjorie, this is Pastor Bill. She said, I was mortified. She said, he has come to rake me over the coals. I didn't even show up. She looked on the floor real quick. Empty bottle. I'm not letting him in. Marjorie, let me in. She opened the door, hair everywhere, bloodshot eyes, still staggering. And she says, right when I thought he was going to let me have it, he hugged me and he said, you know what? I forgive you. We'll do it again. And she said, that was the last drink I ever took. And she said, you know what did it? The forgiveness and the love and the reached out hand of a preacher who I had burned. And he didn't condemn me. And it set me free. She was my dear friend for years. She's with the Lord now. But she's the one who started the house of faith, which became a home for unwed mothers and wayward girls. And hundreds and hundreds of girls went through that home, found a home, found a mother in Marjorie. And to this day, owe their salvation to the woman who was forgiven one night by a man of God who was like Jesus. What good would it have done him if he had scathed her for that, there would have been no house of faith. Marjorie probably wouldn't have lived but a couple more years and would have rotted her, lived her out, and died. But mercy and forgiveness saved her. Church, I'm not talking about overlooking sin. I'm talking about save the pearl and help extract them from the sin and restore and don't condemn because you could do the same thing. Can we stand up together? <clears throat> Amen. Father, we're just so touched by your word. We see Ham and how he acted. We see Shem and Japheth, and we see the results down through their descendants. And we also see, Lord, that David was a restorer 
We see how he was dogged by the hams and the Pharisees and the critics, and yet you delivered him. We also see, Lord, how you were. Just like that preacher was towards Marjorie, you were that way with that woman caught in adultery. And we can only imagine what became of her life because of that moment of forgiveness from you. But we are confident, Lord, that she went on and lived a wholesome life and no doubt glorified you in some way. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us to be those who restore. Now, can you take a minute, dear church, and just say, Lord, help me to be this way. Help me to be a Shem and a Japheth and a Jesus. Help me to have that heart towards those who have gotten in trouble, who have fallen, who know they're doing wrong and deeply and badly want to be delivered and they need to know that somebody's having mercy on them. Help us to be spiritual, those who walk controlled by the Holy Ghost, where we are restorers. Now, can you breathe that prayer for just a moment, everyone, and ask God to do that in you?